everybody, and welcome to Early Childhood Discussions, the podcast of the Grow New Jersey Kids Technical Assistance Center North, part of the Central Jersey Family Health Consortium. I'm your host, Lori Harji, Project Lead and Technical Assistance Specialist. And for today's Conscious Conversation, I have with me Constant Hine. She's a frequent speaker at NAEYC conferences and the author of a book that just came out during the pandemic, Transformational Coaching for Early Childhood Educators. Um, I'm so excited to have Constant here with us today. She's a nationally recognized speaker. And when I asked her if she would like to join us for Conscious Conversations, she said, sure. So I love her openness and her willingness to share. So Constant, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Um, and can you share your journey um, as an early childhood professional? I know that you've been in the field for some time and you didn't just start out by writing a book. I know that you had some experiences that, that led you to, to, uh, to write this book and you've had a lot of really interesting experiences. So I think it's always nice to hear how someone got to where they are right now. So tell us about that journey, please. Sure. Um, I started out in the classroom as a classroom teacher and I taught uh, two and a half to five-year-olds in a variety of different programs in many different states. And, um, and I loved working with young kids. Threes were my favorite age. And, um, I did that for many years, and then I took uh, I took a year off, and I uh, had a personal journey. I lived in a in a retreat for a year, and um, when I came back, um, I moved to uh, I was at the I lived in California, and I had moved a bit. And on retreat, I was up in um, Northern California, and then I moved to Los Angeles. And when I was in Los Angeles, I uh, was teaching meditation, and I wanted a part-time job while I figured out how what I was how I was going to land. And I got a job teaching, um, not teaching, uh, working at Lakeshore Learning Materials in their store in Los Angeles. Oh so I, wow! So I was selling early childhood materials, you know, and it was a hourly job. And, you know, I have a master's in early childhood education. And one of the gals from headquarters came down and she met me and she said, why are you working in the store with a master's? And I said, well, it kind of suited my lifestyle and I wasn't quite sure what direction I wanted to go. And she said, well, come down to headquarters and be our in-house early childhood consultant. I went, okay. So I went to work full time um, at headquarters for Lakeshore, and I was their in-house early childhood consultant and expert. And in that role, they invented me as a trainer. I had not really done very. I presented in a couple of local AEYCs, you know that kind of thing. And so I started developing curriculum and. Lakeshore was great. I did not have to push product at all. So I was doing puppet workshops and block workshops and curriculum-based workshops. And I was traveling all over the country doing that. 
So that's what got me into training. And then I really loved working with the adults as much as I loved working with kids, which kind of surprised me. But I and I realized I was touching more children by working with the adults. So that kind of got me going along that. And then in that process, I um, I moved to Washington and I started my own consulting business called Horizons and Learning. And that was in 1988. And here I am. And 20 almost 21 still going and i uh, had a variety of other i did some part-time work uh as a daycare advisor for a local community college and advising different programs so i kind of learned the consulting field that way and you know so i was a trainer for many years but i realized that people didn't really change their behaviors based on their trainings which kind of frustrated me so around the late 90s i kind of just said what's going on with this and i started to do more research and found out that um you're lucky if you're the world's best trainer you're lucky if 40 percent if people will 40 percent of the people will implement anything and i thought well i don't like that <laughs> so, <laughs> So I started to do more research and that's when I discovered coaching and realizing that combining coaching with training, it increases people's ability to actually implement and change their practices to 95%. And I went, that's the direction I'm going. <laughs> so that's what got me into coaching is, and I started to, you know, around the early 2000s, I started to develop and, um, uh, a coaching model that I worked with, which was the precursor to my groomer framework for change model, which I present in my new book. So, so for about 20 years, I've been really focusing on coaching. And so my career started with children and then it started training adults. And I now train um, coaches. I work a lot with leadership and I support um, a variety of people about learning how to become more resilient. And I also have a train the trainer program. So I've kind of, you know, I specialize in trainers, coaches, and leaders. And that's kind of the group of people that I work with and that I coach. Oh, wow. So it sounds like you've taken all of those different experiences and opportunities to create the situation that you're in right now. So you've got your experience working with young children directly, um, and then your experience as a trainer, then your experience with the meditation practice and, and you know teaching that, and then kind of on the macro level, being a coach of coaches. So yeah, that's, that is wonderful. Now, um, your, I, I know that coaching is more kind of more popular, I guess I would say. I, I hear about it more often. Um, I've been in the field for a while and it's only like, I would say in the last decade or two that you know you hear uh, coaching talked about more frequently. Um, but your book is the first book that I've come across that refers to coaching as transformational coaching. So could you talk a little bit about that? Like what what is transformational coaching? Yeah, transformational coaching, well, um, it's good to first define transactional coaching. That's kind of the, 
opposite okay. of transactional coaching. And trans, I mean, transformational coaching, transactional coaching is more like a business deal. And it's the most conventional approach to coaching used both in corporations as well as in education. And I think a lot of our practice-based coaching models tend to be transactional models. And um, they focus, the, the, the key to transactional is they focus on goals and action plans, which is really good. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Transaction, transformational coaching does the same thing. We, we don't not do that. We just do a lot more because transformational coaching is when you look at what are the behaviors and the thoughts, the feelings, the values that are holding behaviors in place. And um, transactional coaching usually doesn't go that deep. And so in transactional coaching, which also often tends to be what I call an expert model, where the coach is considered an expert and they have the knowledge and they do a lot of advising and they do a lot of um, giving suggestions, a lot of leading. And, and the, the difficulty is coaches coming from a transactional model often come to me and they say, well, they're not doing what I say. They don't implement it. And I went, I know. And, <laughs> uh, and part of it is because transformational, I mean, transactional coaching we tend to stop after we got a good goal and we got an action plan. And I don't know about you, but at least in my life, I've had lots of things I had goals and action plans for and it didn't get me where I wanted to go. I think of every New Year's resolution I ever made. You know, I thought of the years I tried to lose weight. You know, I had a good goal, I had a good plan, eat less, exercise more, drink more water. And three months later, it was like, what was I doing? You know, like having an action plan does not change your behavior. And so transformational coaching, its real focus is to get underneath and help somebody examine their own um, values, thoughts, habits that are holding the behaviors in place. And my experience is when you have an action plan, there are barriers you bump into when you're trying to implement your action plan. And it's really a coach in a transformational approach helps people really identify what are the barriers and help them unravel that. So um, I think the transformational coaching is you're really looking for transforming a person at a deeper level, at a values and beliefs level. Okay, so um, you described how even the best trainer in the world, uh, somebody who's gone to that that professional's training, only 40% of those people might actually implement something that that trainer shared with them during the training. And so it's that sounds a really good outcome. <laughs> an exceptionally amazing yeah. world, world-class trainer. So, and it sounds like, so switching to coaching helps to mm, operationalize that change more readily. So someone who's got, has had some training and then has some coaching, 
is more likely to be able to implement. But it sounds like what you're saying is that the transformational coaching even kicks that up a notch. Mm -hmm. So the transactional coaching might help the training to happen, you know, that the, the implementation of the, the training ideas to happen. But the transformational coaching is what's really going to have someone be very reflective is what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, it, my experience is, is that the purpose of coaching is really reflection as distinct from what's the difference between technical assistance and coaching. And technical assistance, which I think most people these days do coaching, but they're in my world, they're really doing what I would call technical assistance. And so making yeah. that distinction, I think, is important. And coaches in, in who are really doing coaching, not just TA, they're really fostering reflection, whether they're transactional or whether they're transformational. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that makes people's behavior really change is, um, and what makes the change what I call sticky, sticky change. Oh, okay. Sticky change. Uh, sticky, to get really get sticky change, you have to be a guide by their side. You want to help, you want to be a thinking partner with them. And my experience is a lot of transactional coaches that come from that expertise model tend to be the expert and they don't actually get in the trenches when trouble hits so that you know they kind of go off and do your thing come back report to me as opposed to the you actually going with them and and helping them really think through what's working and what's not working and helping that critical thinking so a transformational coach, from my perspective, is somebody's thinking partner. Because our job isn't to have the answers for them. Our job is to help them learn how to think critically so they can solve whatever problems they come up with in the future. Whatever next child issue may come up, whether it's about curriculum, whether it's about family involvement, learning how to change and to deal with problems is kind of the heart of the matter. Okay. Yeah, so that sounds like something that is really the the idea behind New Jersey's quality rating improvement system is the idea of sustainable change. Right, that's um, that sticky change. Exactly, where you um, you know you work with your team, you work with the quality improvement specialist, you work with the technical assistance specialist, the inventory specialist. There's training partners there's all kinds of people who are supporting you on your journey um, to help you figure out where you are and where you want to go in terms of improving your quality um, and then after you get your rating there's the whole continuous quality improvement process so the idea is that you are continuing along this path and continuing to improve your practice and reflectively think about what you're doing and, and continuing to implement new strategies, new ideas. So I, I love that idea of, of sticky change um, and, and how that really can help people to look at what they're doing and use those tools 
going forward as they become more and more reflective. So I, I, I like that. So tell me, Constant, um, you obviously have a, a lot of experience with trans, uh, transformational coaching, and I know that you also have um, a framework that you've developed along that. Um, I know here in New Jersey, and I, I've heard that it's it's the same in um, many parts of the country, our child care center directors are struggling to find staff. Um, I think it's been a problem for uh, a number of years. I think it has become even more critical during the pandemic. And what I'm hearing from directors is that they are frequently um, hiring staff who have very limited work experience, limited experience with young children, um, oftentimes limited experience, or I should say limited education in working with young children. So I'm wondering, would your transformational coaching model work um, with a staff member who's just brand new in the field? What do you need to know about being a teacher in order to have transformational coaching be an effective tool for a director to use with a staff person? Well, I think coaching and um, I think it's important to recognize that coaching does not replace training. You know, they are not the same thing. Um, like I couldn't coach somebody about how to become a masterful cook or chef if they didn't know how to cook. There is the basics of where you do need some education. And, um, and I think to that degree, our industry has been blighted with difficult education and pay to attract people to our field and keep them. It's been an issue we've had since the beginning, you know. So I don't want to, I don't think anybody can say that um, it is never either or training or coaching. Mm -hmm. It's a combination. And so people do need to have education. But even if they only have a little bit of education, even if they only have their own experience of being a student in, you know, many people in our field don't have a college background, but they probably went to high school. And how they learned in high school is probably going to be how they teach because that's their only experience. And if they got what I'd call typical K-12 education, might not have been the best pedagogical approaches and certainly not how we want to work with young children. So if I think about having a, uh, a person we're hiring who doesn't have a lot of early childhood background, understanding how children learn is really important. And one of the things that a director can do, I think, I think we get frustrated, directors get frustrated because we kind of just want to open those people up and pour all the information in them. If I could just put the information in them, but that's the worst way to educate anybody. Kids don't learn by you thinking they're, they're empty vessels and you just got to put the information in. It's not how children learn. It's not how adults learn. And I think it's important to recognize that adults come to work environments with lots of life experiences. 
And first and foremost, they have their own experience of being a student and how did they learn? And so I think there's some ways that directors could start to build on the strengths and the previous knowledge of their, their employees and actually have meaningful conversations with them as what did you like about being a student? What did you not like? What do we know about young children? And telling, telling people what to do is a, a directive approach. It's a pedagogical approach to teaching. In my experience, it doesn't work whether you're little, it doesn't work whether you're an adult. You know, um, directive education does not get you meaningful learning. And coaching can be, one way to think of coaching is facilitation approach. So rather than a telling approach, even with education, even with training, you can use a coaching facilitative approach. And Regio is a really good example of that in a, a learning and curriculum approach that we use with young children is we help them by asking questions and by letting them investigate and by letting them make mistakes and then spending time reflecting with them. And if you just grow that up for adult world, a director could do a very similar thing with their staff, which is have them be reflective about what they're intending to do and what's actually happening. So directors really are primary coaches. They're, they're the ones who really need to learn some coaching skills because, uh, and again, we need to educate people, you know, child development matters and that sort of thing. But you can still get a lot out of people by having them stop and reflect about what they are doing, why they think it's working, how do they know it's working? And, you know, we can use a coaching approach to help even in the training arena, even in the reflective process, because there are a lot of people who may not have education, who love children, mm -hmm. who are natural with kids, yes. and, but they're not metacognitive about it. They just do it. Like when I was good with kids. I always was. I was a lead teacher. And when I, I mean, when they asked me to be a lead teacher and I had to start helping my my um, student teachers, I wasn't very good at it at first because I just taught naturally. I didn't understand why they didn't know what to do. Because okay. I didn't think I didn't stop to think, how do I know what I know? I just taught. And so I think that's a role directors can play is how did you know to do that? To help somebody become aware of how they're doing something is powerful. And it, that's kind of what led me into training and coaching. Both of it is because I, I had a, a little story I had is I had a student teacher and I'd said, you better get over to Jacob. He's about to go off. You know, we all know what that means. So he was about to go off and she looked at me and she says, how do you know that? And I looked at her like, what's wrong with you? Well, look at him. She says, I don't know what you're looking at. And uh, I looked at her and I thought, you must have a missing human chip or something. Can't you just see? And then it wasn't until then that I dawned that I had a way of 
seeing something other people didn't see. I did not become a good trainer. I did not become a good educator until I stopped to ask myself, how do I know what I know? And when I looked at him, I said, well, Jacob gets all red in his neck, his body gets stiff, and I can just see he's about to go. And then I realized, oh, I'm reading body language. And mm. some people don't read body language in Howard Gardner's model. That's interpersonal and kinesthetic intelligence. Not everybody is that kind of smart. So mm -hmm. it made me start to realize I had to become metacognitive. I had to think about my thinking. I had to start recognizing how do I do what I do. And that process of reflection is the heart of what coaches are trying to build in people. Mm -hmm. So helping people think about how they're doing. How did you come up with that art activity? How did you know in the circle time? How did you know when it was going south? What were the signs? What were the indicators? Helping people bring that to their awareness so it's not just something coming out of them leverages people's strengths and intelligence in a way. And many of our people who come in our field, they might not have it formally, but if you've got eyes for seeing it, you can start to leverage what they're bringing. And yeah. I think that can help directors. Um, and we, we call that actually working a strength-based approach. Mm -hmm. You know, and reflective supervision is a really good approach. Reflective supervision is a little like using coaching, you know. Right. And I, I don't think that transformational coaching is for experienced people. I think it's for anybody. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, the way that you've described it, I could see that it could be useful for anyone along their journey, um, no matter where they are in their profession, no matter how much experience, how much education. Um, I love the way that you described that it doesn't take the place of training, but it, it sounds like it kind of goes hand in hand with training. Because um, so many times you hear people, you know, you hear um, administrators say, you know, well, I sent my staff out to the training, but they're not doing anything differently. Um, you know, what's going on here? So it sounds like from the way you're describing it, the the transformational coaching can kind of come alongside the training so that the director can help the teacher, the assistant teacher, become more reflective and think about what she's doing, what he's doing, um, you know, how that aligned with their expectations. You know, what was it that they were trying to have happen and, and is that what happened and really think about that. So I think it just, um, it sounds it sounds ideal. So how long just I'm wondering, how long does it take someone to become, you know, moderately skilled at using transformational coaching techniques? Is um, is, is it a is it a long process if there's a director who's you know interested in in learning more about this or has you know listened to what you've described and said, oh yeah, I, I want that. <laughs> I want that for my for my staff and for me. Um, what would you recommend? How how do you start doing something like this? Well, first learn about coaching. 
Um, and there, um, that's a big question. I have to stop and think, which is, by the way, thinking takes time. And if you're going to be a director, a supervisor, or a coach, you have to allow people time to think. And um, coaching requires some reflection time. One of the challenges we have in our industry is having release time for you know, teachers to think about what they're doing and having conversations with them, even to have uh, to do reflective supervision with employees takes some coverage so you can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Right. And I think there's a misnomer that coaching is about observing and giving feedback. And that's a transactional model. And I don't think it's very as effective. Mm -hmm. So how long does it take to become a good coach is very dependent on your own uh, your own practice at being a reflective person. The more you are a reflective person, I think the faster you pick it up. My experience of becoming a good coach, there are certainly skills and techniques, but the mindset of being an agent of change more than a content expert is what matters. If you really learn how to help people change, I don't care what the topic is, to facilitate people going through change is going to help you learn how to coach faster. Because if you go down the expert doorway, you know, the trouble is you're hoping that knowledge will make the difference. And that's why training doesn't work is because knowledge alone does not change behavior. And so any director, I would say, if you're investing in people going to trainings, you are throwing some money out the window if you don't leverage your investment by having them reflect about how are they gonna implement what they learned and doing some reflection with them about that process, whether it's gonna be peers or staff meetings or however you might do that, but you fostering, and that isn't a one-time thing. It takes time for people to implement change. And a real good coach is going to be a change agent. And um, so that's why my coaching model is called a framework for change because what it really does is it teaches people how to facilitate people to change. It's not about best practices. And so um, I, would, I would learn more about the power of reflection. Um, and then there are also, you know, having a coaching model helps, you know, I've got my model. Uh, there are others, but be mindful of what the philosophy is underneath it. Is it a transactional model or is it a transformational model? I think you get faster change in a transformational model than you do a transactional model. That Because I started out doing transactional coaching and I kept having to tell people what to do. And I was repeating myself all the time. And when I started to shift more in a transformational model, the change started to happen faster. So I think mastery of any skill, whether it's coaching or teaching or whatever it is, it takes 
some knowledge, it takes some understanding, it takes a lot of making mistakes. Most people learn by making mistakes. And, you know, one of the things I give all my coaching students is I give them a coupon of um, mistake coupons. Because the best way to really learn is to go make mistakes, then identify what was the mistake and reflect about what did you learn from the mistake. And any director could do that, hand out coupons for, I want you to go make mistakes this week and then I want to talk about what did you learn from the mistake and um, what happened. That's a little bit of coaching, right? And especially it could be applied to leveraging what they learned in the training. And, but skill mastery, it takes time because you just need to mess around for a while, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, when I work with people, I find, and, and I just did a, a class recently, I had, I think, three or four people in there who had, were brand new coaches, and they had under a year experience coaching. But they, you know, several of them took to it like a fish to water. So some of it matters to the the, the mindset and the and the nature of the person. If they tend to be reflective anyways, you swim a little faster. Okay. If you are somebody who's afraid of making mistakes and you have a low risk tolerance, you're gonna swim a little slower. So one thing you can do to quicken your ability to learn how to coach faster, actually to learn anything faster, is increase your risk tolerance and um, take on that underlying value that it's not okay to make mistakes. Because if you can grant yourself that permission and start to learn from your mistakes, you'll learn fast. So I think it takes some time. So the kinds of people who I think are getting really experienced in it are usually you know, they're four or five years into coaching, but I also know some brand new coaches who are really good. And I know coaches who've been coaching for 10 years who aren't doing so well. So, you know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like saying what makes some kids, young children pop faster than others. And I think what makes you pop faster than, you know, to pop quickly is when you build on your strength, your interest, and your passion. I okay. call it SIP, strength, interest, passion, S-I-P. When you can take a sip of yourself or another person, be that, follow your strength and your passion, you will learn quickly. So if coaching is something you're interested in, then follow your passion and let, and, and, and interest is all about let yourself be curious and ask questions. And, you know, if you can do anything, wonder rather than worry about answers. If you can oh. foster your wonder and your curiosity, you'll become a really good coach really fast because good coaches don't worry about what they know. They wonder about what the other person knows. And they are naturally interested in the other person and they ask inquiry. And you know, asking open-ended questions and paraphrasing, there's definitely some skill set, but listening is probably the most important coaching skill you can learn. So that's kind of a yeah. roundabout answer to a very big question that has a very not easy answer. <laughs> I hope it helps. 
<laughs> well, thank you, Constant. I really appreciate that. Um, you just you said a couple of things um, just that really resonated with me. And you talked about it's all about mindset. And I'm thinking about, you know, this time of the pandemic where um, we've all needed to step into that mindset of saying, you know, we can do this. We can, you know, we can get through this pandemic. We can lead our programs. We can take care of children and, and provide quality care in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. Um, I loved what you said about making mistakes. And I think that it's, we as early childhood professionals are so quick to say that it's important for the kids learning process for them to be able to make mistakes but i don't know that we're always so quick to say that about ourselves as adults or to say that about other adults like we you know we don't necessarily embrace that that um you know that that knowledge that we have that young children learn through trying things out and they learn trial and error is a fancy way for trial and mistake Mm -hmm. this is my coupon sheet oh i love it (laughs) and so this is where i you know this is what i give and a, a director would be really you know hand out coupons and have staff meetings where you know, you build a culture for change and learning. You can start staff meetings by having everybody share what's one victory they had this week and what is one glorious mistake they made. And that builds a culture for learning. And mm-hmm. um, it fosters that it's okay to make mistakes. And that is how we actually learn. But it takes building a culture and directors are the heart of a program's culture. And so um, how we talk about that and sharing and being vulnerable and sharing your own mistakes and what you've learned is really important. And you're right, Lori, I think most of us somehow have learned some expectation because you're an adult, you shouldn't make mistakes. In my experiences, that's the opposite of the direction I want to go in fostering people, because if you're going to have people change, change is scary. You know, send people to a training, but nothing is changing, is what they say. Well, change is scary because you actually, for something to change, you have to change something. And mostly what you have to change is the underlying philosophies, beliefs, the habits, the attachment, you know, like even people having to give up the habit of biting their nails. Well, they're biting their nails for a reason. And until you can get to the heart of why they have the habit, they don't change. And the same, why do people use negative language with children? Or why do they use timeout? Or why do they use strategies that don't work? Mm -hmm. Because they think they're getting something out of it or it's familiar and familiar is safer than unknown. And so people will continue to make choices that aren't great ones, even if they don't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that from what I'm understanding you to say is that it can take some time to become skillful at transformational coaching, but you really need to give yourself permission to make mistakes. Oh, yeah. um, 
and that you're going to learn as you go, just like you learned how to be a teacher of young children. You know, your first year probably wasn't your best year because you were still learning, but you were still giving the kids good experiences and you were still, you know, being effective, maybe not as effective as you became later in your, you know, your years in the classroom, but it you can give yourself grace as you're learning and have your coaching coupons, be willing to make mistakes, be willing to vulner be vulnerable because you're helping your staff to learn that process of it's okay to make mistakes and and how to be reflective and how to think uh, carefully about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how they might do it differently. Um, I like the way you talked about leveraging the training because that is something that I hear all the time that you know directors talk about sending their staff out or now it's you know virtual training and spending a lot of time but there's not seeing that change mm -hmm. in well, in the practice well so I being, mean, yeah, yeah combined I think about I think about myself as a high school student I learn stuff because I had to pass a test mm -hmm. and I didn't use stuff and I didn't have to implement it and most training to implement something takes another skill set than sitting and passively learning okay and that's where i think directors can really leverage and i don't think it takes a long time to be a good coach mm -hmm. you know some of some people are probably naturally doing coaching and you know mm -hmm. like reading my book i have so many people who have said this is like i didn't even know i was doing it right but they recognize themselves in it that's the the metacognitive is like i didn't even know i was doing it like i didn't know why i was being successful getting to a kid before they blew up i didn't know why but mm -hmm. i had to stop and think about it so i think people can can really as you say they can they can start implementing coaching right away and and mastery of anything takes time mm -hmm. you know and um but you don't have to be a master of it to make it worthwhile right you know and i think that that's why if you follow your interest and your passion you'll go fast right so you'll somebody somebody who has a passion for providing the best for young children and somebody who has a passion for leading their team in their pro child care program um you know they have that interest they have that passion and with some support through some more information gaining some more knowledge about additional techniques they could try the you're describing that they they may see themselves in something like your book where they could say oh you know i'm already doing this this and this i could try to do this you know when i have people who i i have teams of coaches that I've been working with for eight years, you know, I, over time, and I, you know, mm -hmm. just keep watching them develop. And the thing that I've really learned is there's a lot, there's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of skill, but really what you wanna do is do the one that makes sense to you first. 
wherever it is that a, a light bulb goes off for you, start there. Mm -hmm. Start there. You know, for some people, it's really all I got to do is I got to learn to keep my mouth shut and listen more. And then they work hard and they use lots of coupons because they keep saying, you know, and then I said, right. And, you know, I, I tell my coaches to have small notebooks and after every coaching session, write down what worked and what didn't work about that session. You practice the art of reflection yourself. You will get much better at honing your skills. And so even if you're only working one or two skills, start to really reflect about did it work or did it not work? What contributed it to did it not? So it isn't just skill, it's skill and reflection. It's mm -hmm. skill and reflection. So even if you're just doing one baby next step, then just keep reflecting about how you're doing it. The same thing's true for classroom teachers. You know, if they're taking, you know, how do I say this? The class, all the assessments, the early rating systems, that's not going to teach them how to be a good teacher. Mm -hmm. the assessments are just measuring where you are on the map. Right. How you move people in the journey is more what's going to matter than the test score. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I also know lots of programs that good, good ratings, and I don't think they've got good quality. Ratings don't equal quality all the time. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I, I was a terrible student in high school. You know, I crammed for a test. I passed the test barely. And, um, and then I forgot everything and I'm on to the next thing. So if you aim yourself toward ratings and if you aim yourself toward a test and that becomes your objective, you're not helping kids. Mm -hmm. And I, that's a kind of radical thing to say. I should probably stop. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm not saying don't do it. It's not mm -hmm. the point. The rating is simply something to help you measure what direction do you go in to get the quality? It isn't the it isn't the quality. Right, right. And, and I think that that's so misunderstood. And as you said, coaching came into being about 10 years ago because that's when most of the quality rating programs in states mm -hmm. came about. 20 years, I just had to educate people what coaching was as to why they even wanted to do it. Um, it's much easier now because, as you said, everybody knows about it. But the mistake we made 10 years ago starting into the quality improvement game, we got the ratings in the front and the ratings should be behind, not in front. The ratings are in the same way you don't want kids going to school and just passing tests. You want them to learn to think critically. And to me, that's the goal is thinking critically is the goal. Because if you have a critical thinker and they've got a child that they're, they're not it's not going well. If they know how to think critically, they're going to be able to figure out that puzzle as opposed to thinking there's a right answer. Because mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but with human beings, there are no right answers. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And all of, our, all of our best practices are just guidelines and things to pull from to do what works in front of us, right? And so I think it's the same thing about 
how do we help people learn, whether they're children or adults, mm -hmm. is to be free enough to learn, which means to make mistakes, mm -hmm. and, and then to be reflective about what we're doing and to wonder and to ask questions in, our, in and of ourselves. And open-ended questions are questions you ask that you don't know the answer to. Questions that you ask that you know the answer to are not open-ended questions. Those are tutorial or test questions. And so you want to stay away from those with the adults for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unless you're teaching a college class. And you, even then, you know, having taught college classes, I don't go for right answers. Mm -hmm. I still go for critical thinking. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, that makes so much sense. You you talked about sticky change and you talked about wanting people to get to the underlying reasons. Like why, you know, why am I doing something this way? And and thinking about like, is this a good way to do it? Is this effective? Is is there a different way? Um, and figuring out what those underlying beliefs and um, thoughts and feelings are about yeah, um, you know, putting some some processes forward um the idea of of directors and and lead teachers being able to leverage the training by helping staff who've attended the training become more reflective as you said whether it's you know one-on-one -on -one, whether it's in a, a team meeting uh, you know a, a staff meeting um like you just shared so many wonderful ideas and strategies constant um, I really appreciate you being here with us today. Um, can you tell me if a director is interested in um, exploring your book, where where could she get her hands on that? Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's also available at Redleaf Press. And it's a, it's a book that you can read by chapter, by interest. You don't have to go from the beginning to the end. It's very strategies oriented. So, you know, the first two chapters give you a bit of a mindset. And um, so you can jump right to chapter seven, which is a whole bunch of good strategies, you know, so you can mm -hmm. jump around in the book if you want to. So you can you can read it based on your interest and on your needs. So, yeah, you can get those are available. If you go to my website, um, I also have some um, videos on my website that people can watch where I talk more about what coaching is. And um, I have a uh, uh, a button to go to current events, and I am about to do a lot of on-demand online courses that will be available in the different areas of my book and, and coaching. So um, my website, which is my name, www.constant.com, H-I-N-E.com, they can kind of follow what are happening. And um, so that's, can I tell you a little story? Please do. <laughs> it's, it's, it touches my heart and it's why I became a teacher. So to follow those little threads. So one of the things as a coach that I always ask all my coaches, and I think any director, you want to ask, your staff what the had them come to the field why do they want to be a teacher knowing what motivates them is going to be magic for you because if you can find out what motivates them then you want to always be leveraging their motivation 
And what motivated me to become a teacher was because I was a terrible student. I had a lot of difficulty learning. And I started school a year early. I was four years old. And um, I had the world's best kindergarten teacher and her name was Sig Holmeyer. And for whatever reason, Sig Holmeyer thought I had magic fairy dust and she fell in love with me. And um, she had a way, and I had gotten a lot of messages by the time I was four that who I was was not okay. I talked too much, I moved too much. I was too dramatic. I was kind of T-O-O fill in the blank, which had underrated my confidence already at the age of four. And Sig Holmeyer had a way of reflecting who I was back to me that's made me see myself differently. And one of the things she did, I call it pulling a Sig, how Sig Holmeyer behaved. She'd come to me at the latter part of the day and she'd say, you know, I'm very tired and you always have extra energy. Could I play with you a while? I need some of your energy. It was the first time in my life somebody had acknowledged my energy as a possible contribution. Wow. So Sig Holmeyer made me feel so important that I knew I, by the time I was 10, I knew I wanted to be an early childhood teacher. And uh, I had Kate... Grades one through 12 were kind of long, dark, black tunnels, not good. But she was a light at the beginning of my tunnel. And I have to tell you that last week, I still know Sig Holmeyer, and she just sent me a birthday present. Oh, how, my gosh. How she knew it was my birthday, I don't know. But she sent me a present. And I, and I dedicated my book to her. So if you read the book, read the dedication, because she changed my life. I want every early childhood educator to know that if they can find the what works in every child and help that child see what works about them, they can change a life forever. I've known Sig Holmeyer for 63 years and she still just loves me. And if every director could do the same thing for their staff, to really help them see what is it that works about each one of their staff, help them see who they are. Most of us have no idea who we are and we need people around us to mirror and to reflect and help us see the who we are that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that because I think about, you know, a director's role, so many, um young people come into the field um and it's it's you know primarily women though it's it's nice to see that some of our programs are you know do have some some young men on the team um but they you know they they like children they're you know naturally inclined to work with them but they they don't necessarily see themselves as a student so they haven't you know made that leap to actually get some more formal education, you know, to become that CDA student or to become someone who earned their associates in early childhood or, or their bachelor's or even their teaching certification. I think a, a director can help that young person see that in themselves, see that they do have some skills and 
that they are capable of taking that next step because that director believes in them and their abilities and their natural aptitude combined with some formal education can be an amazing thing. Um, but I think it's all about, like you said, someone to believe in you. Yeah. Someone and to I, see something in you that you don't see in yourself. Yeah. And I think for us in our field, to see ourselves as professionals, whether or not we have all the formal education is important. Even if they don't go on to get the formal education is for them to see themselves as professionals they'll hold themselves in a certain way. And then there's a natural desire to want to learn to master their skill set. But if they see themselves as professionals, but to do that, you have to treat them that way. Yes. So directors have to treat them not as, you know, it's a very, it's so easy to fall into the mindset of to look what doesn't work. If you can, use reflective practices to practice finding what works wherever you go focus on what you want and what's working you can change people's lives without a lot of investment and mm -hmm. you know that is where to start you know yeah. and if nothing else i used to say find the gem in every child well find the gem in every staff person you have what mm -hmm. is their gem that is a unique thing in them and foster that help them see the gem that they are and and that that contributes to you acting professionally toward them mm -hmm. will inspire them so be an inspiration to them as well right right to reflect to to demonstrate what you want to see back to reflect yes. that to Yes, and treat, I think that's so them, important. Treat them the way you want them to treat the children. Right, right, and I think you, you've just said so many important things. Um, uh, it's been wonderful to have you here, Constant. I so appreciate you zooming in all the way from the western part of the United States. Uh, to join us. Um, is there anything else you want to add? This conversation has been wonderful and I'm I'm looking forward to talking with our Grow New Jersey Kids Center directors more about transformational coaching as we go forward. Yeah, uh, the only thing I would say is together we can do this. Mm -hmm. Together we can do this and in this pandemic and everything else, I see it as an incredible opportunity because we have to let go of some things we've just been doing by rote that really haven't really been working. And we're having to force ourselves into critical new thinking. And don't be afraid to make the mistake. Be courageous. Fall flat on your face if you have to. You just get up and keep going. The real difference is the people who know how to help themselves deal with problems, not get stopped by them. And you don't have to know the answer to do that. Yeah. So have, have go forth, grab a hand, grab a heart, go forward, and together we'll figure it out. Great. Thank you so much, Constant. This uh, has just been such a, a wonderful opportunity um, for us here in, in New Jersey to learn from some of your um, your knowledge, your skills, your practices. Um, it's just been wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. I appreciate thank it. You.